if you will, open up your Bibles to Matthew, the 14th chapter. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, storms but still raining, and we're not talking about rain falling, we're talking about living victorious, ruling and reigning. And so we left off, or we kind of talked about this story last week about Peter walking on the water and how that a storm rose in his life, and um you know, the Lord wanted him to overcome. The Lord wanted him to live in victory. And probably my first recollection of a bumper sticker, you know, that lasted for a long time uh, when I first got saved was, if you think you're perfect, try walking on water. And I had this, you know, you get this image that, that walking on water is about uh, perfection. And walking on water is not about being perfect. Okay? Just so you know that, walking on water does not have to do with being perfect. Because first of all, it was Peter who walked on the water. And if anybody had issues, uh, or one of a few of his disciples, it was Peter. And so we looked at how he walked on the water at first, and then how he sunk after. And so we're going to read the story real quick, and then we're going to move on because we talked about having a written word out of the word of God to stand on, or what, what the Bible calls a rhema word, a word that's quickened inside of you, that's alive, something you know from God you're supposed to do or he gives you direction in. You can walk on those words and live in victory. So Matthew the 14th chapter, and we'll begin reading in verse 22. It says this, um, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go to the other side before him, while he sent the multitudes away. So he'd been preaching there all day long, uh, and uh, it's time for him to move on to his next place. So he sends his disciples away and sends the crowd away and tells them, you guys row over there, that's where we're going to be next. And verse 23 said, and when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening had come, he was alone there, and the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. One thing that I think is always important when you're talking about tests and storms that come, or hey, I'm going to really go do something for God. How come now I start going to do something for God, and it seems like there's extra pressure to obey Him? That's where they were. There was pressure. The winds, the waves were blowing contrary, but they just stuck with it. It says, but the wind, but the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed, verse 24, by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Notice verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Luke's account says Jesus would have, though he went toward them, it said he would have walked right by them. And here it says, and when the disciples saw uh, him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. You know, there's a side thought there. Didn't they have authority over demons, ghosts, evil spirits? 
Interesting. But notice verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Isn't that something? The first thing Jesus says is, Be of good cheer. Now, what did they look like? Hey, guys, be of good cheer. It's me. And they're all freaking out. But notice this, and Peter answered him after he got done screaming, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Man, he didn't give him any options. Let me swim to you. No, he said, on the water. You're performing a miracle. I see this. And Jesus had invited his disciples to participate in miracles. He was teaching them about miracles through his life. And he would tell them, go do this. Pray this way for people. Go cast out spirits. Do these things. He allowed them to multiply and be involved in the multiplication of loaves and fish. And here we are here. And Peter's thinking, cool, another opportunity. Let me do what you're doing. Because everything he had been doing, he was teaching the disciples how to do it. Right? Didn't even tell them after training them this way for years of ministry. In John 14, the day before or a couple days before he gets taken and then they scourge him and, you know, kill him. Didn't he say the works that I do, you will do also and greater works than these will you do because I go unto my father. Jesus had trained them to do these things. So Peter's thinking, hey, another opportunity. We haven't seen this one. But see, they had read in the Old Testament where people had, you know, done certain things that were kind of like this. And so he's like, cool, I'm ready. I want to do this. You command me to come and I'll come to you. Notice verse 29. So he said, Jesus said to Peter, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, if this is the first time ever reading this, if we just stopped right there, you'd go, wow, cool. That's how you do it, right there. You just, you, that's what you do. You just, you just get the Lord to give you some direction. You obey that direction. You got a miracle. Because, you know, there will be people who will come, who will get saved. And the first day that they may hear this story might be in church. And then if we just stopped right here, they'd be like, wow, cool. And then they'd leave and they'd go, did you hear about the time Peter walked on the water? And their thinking would be, he just kept walking. Ours, we'd be like, oh yeah, then he started sinking. Notice, he did start to walk on the water. And he was doing it. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Notice this, we have a conflicting things occurring. We have a word from the Lord that when he acted on it, it's working. Now the winds and the waves that were there the whole time, he starts focusing on them. And really he quit reverencing, respecting, and quit acting on what God had told him. And he started going down. But it didn't say he sunk. It said he began to, which to me is an interesting thing. 
because I've never seen somebody, I mean, could you imagine if you were cliff jumping and all of a sudden somebody jumped and they just went halfway in? You'd think, whoa, that right there, that, now that's pretty awesome. How'd you do that? Well, my faith is a little weak right now. Could, could, could you do that again? Well, I may go a little lower. No, I mean, we don't think like that, but this is what was happening. It said he began to sink when he saw these things. And then he cried out to the Lord and said, save me. Verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand. So that meant he is real close. It didn't say Jesus ran over to him and stretched out his hand. It said Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? So there's two things here. One, he said, you of little faith. Somebody said, well, then he needed more faith. Well, did he need more faith? Because his little faith, or whatever faith he had when he started, was actually working. Well, if you read one of the parables of the sower, it tells us about this little faith. It says little faith is you believe but only for a short time, then you quit. Not that you don't have it, you just use it for a little while. See, that's what he did. His faith, he used for a little while. Then he started looking at the storms and the problems, and he got full of fear and got full of worry, and he began to sink. And then the next part is this. Oh, you have little faith. He said, why? Why? Why is a question, right? Some of you are not sure about that. Why did some of you eat more donuts than others in the lobby this morning? That's the question, right? You, you think of a response. Well, I was hungry. Well, why did you cut in line to get a donut? Now people are feeling it. Well, um, no, we, we use the word why as not a statement like a fact, but, I mean, it really is a statement of fact, but it's really a question, too. Why? I'm being very, hey, why? Why did you? And he's asking in this, not after they've come and calmed down and you feel better. Let's go sit down, Peter. I want to have a little talk with you. I mean, there, he's having this talk right there. Right there, why did you doubt? In other words, what was he doubt that he doubted? He quit accepting as fact that he could act on God's word. And then he focused on the problem, which was subservient to him acting on the word a minute before. And now he's sinking. And so the Lord asked him, why did you do that? Why did you doubt? So that means that he didn't have to or the Lord would have never asked him. He would have said, Peter, I understand you can't help it. And it's interesting, Peter did not give an answer either. Because he probably went, uh, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I, there's no answer for that. Why do our parents ask stupid questions when we're little? Why didn't you take out the trash? You know the answer. I was either lazy 
or ignoring you. <laughs> or I was busy doing something else. You know why. In other words, I got no excuse. Do you want me to make one up? Is that what you're asking why for? No, I just won't answer because I'm busted. And Peter was busted. If you're not sure what that means, he was caught red-handed. Why did you doubt? It's an interesting thing because we're talking about a major miracle or what people would call a major miracle. And he said, why did you doubt? You could have had this major miracle, Peter. And he knew it. I said, and he knew it. And later on in his life, things were different, and he grew from this. But the reason these things are written is so we could grow from it. Remember we said this, the biggest part of this miracle, or the first step in this miracle, uh, we talked about it last week, was getting a personal word from the Lord. Uh, some, a promise out of the word, or something God quickens to you. And then having boldness enough to act on it regardless of the circumstances. That's where real faith is. Many people are praying for miracles, wanting to see God move, wanting to see something happen. They have scriptural promises or they have a certain directive in their heart or something they already believe is a fact and is true, but they have failed right where Peter failed. They did not act and they do not act. They pray, they read. I don't know why it is because we do say faith comes by hearing, which is totally true, but I think some people have failed in their walk because they haven't acted. You with me? We know, we see people out there, oh, I believe in the Lord, I believe this, but, but there's nothing to their walk. And God would like their walk resurrected. He would like power in their walk. He would like to do something in and through them. Well, God wants that for all of us. Turn to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. And so the first thing is you get a word, but then you have to act on that word. Why is it that God makes it so you get a word? I mentioned this verse briefly, I think, you know, maybe not briefly, but somewhat at prayer the other day. But I'm going to share these, this set of scriptures here in Hebrews. Why a word? You know how many people don't want a word from God? And I'm talking Christians. There are a lot of Christians who don't want a word from God. You know what they want? They want a sign. I need a sign. You know, if you just give me a sign, you know, if, if three white cars pass me on the road, before a black car passes me, I know you want me to do this. Well, the number one selling car in the United States is a white car. Try like turquoise <laughs> or rainbow. Well, that's not a good, safe way, right? And, but there's people who want these. I need a sign. What I need is a sign. Uh, that, because to you, a sign is important. A sign is big. But is a sign big to God? Is it important to God? It's an interesting thought because signs and wonders and all these things 
have a great and a mighty purpose, but what place do they have and where do they fit? You with me? I mean, if you made a cake and the only cake part, you know, you know how you do like a layer cake and then you got the cake and then you got a little bit of the frosting in between the next layer. Am I describing this clear enough? What if you did the frosting instead of the cake and then had a little thin layer of, uh, you know, cake in between another thick layer of frosting and then you wrapped it with a thin layer of the cake? You cannot go steal a piece of that and put it in your hand and walk away. No way. It's just built wrong. And, and, but, but each piece has its place. But the issue is miracles and signs and wonders all have their place. But the word has its place too. And some people value things the wrong way. You with me? You out there? Hebrews 6.11. Notice this verse. And it says, and we'll read 11 and 12, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of expectation or hope until the end. He said, I want all of you to have full assurance of this godly expectation all the way through the end of life. That you do not become sluggish. Now, you could take this and plug this in wherever you want to, but this word here, don't be sluggish, has to do with your expectation based on what God said. Don't get sluggish about your expectation and your belief in what God said. Because can people get sluggish? Well, you know, I know he said that, but you know, and they can get sluggish. People can get sluggish. And he said, listen, do not get sluggish. Have this full confidence all the way to the end. We don't want to lose our confidence and our assurance in what he said. And so he said, don't be sluggish in that area. You know, it'd be great to say, hey, don't be sluggish about serving. Don't be sluggish about working hard. He said, don't be sluggish about this. You with me? But notice what he said in verse 12, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate. So he's going to tell you what sluggish looks like or what the opposite of sluggish is, but imitate those who through faith or confidence and patience are literally staying the same in their confidence, inherit the promises interesting verse. Then it goes on and it lays out this whole thing about somebody inheriting the promise. And he starts making some profound things here, statements. He said, for when God made a promise to Abraham. Now, this is what we don't want to be sluggish about and don't want to lose our confidence in is these promises that God has given. For when God, verse 13, made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater. You know, because some people do swear by somebody greater. I promise you don't got that kind of money. Well, I swear my parents will give me the money to pay you. Your parents don't have that. I promise, I swear, I've got a line of credit. I can pay you. 
And so here it says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. In other words, I guarantee this. Saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Verse 15, so after he had patiently endured, in other words, he acted on that truth that he believed, and he walked out his life with God, it said he obtained the promise. Notice verse 16. Notice this. For man indeed swear by the greater. Well, I swear to God. I swear by this person. I swear, you know, I have three people who will back me, and they'll help me, and they'll get me the money. Then you need to do that. They swear. And he said, men swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation to, uh, uh, for confirmation is for them, for them an end of all dispute. Well, that used to be so when people didn't lie about everything. But people who are still good to their word, that's still true. And they say, hey, I swear to you that I will do this for you. That is an end of a dispute if you can trust the person who tells you. Right? I mean, if you go to your bank and they look up the numbers and they go, hey, you know what? You're covered. Your credit covers that. Uh, we'll be able to get that for you. You're not going to argue with them. Are you? No, you need to. I, I just said we would. No, no, serious. I'm serious. I need this. And they're like, listen, we said we would. You would not sit there and argue with them. They'd say, next, come back and we'll have the paperwork. No, but really, they would do that and it would be an end of a dispute for you. You wouldn't argue. You would rest assured. They gave their word. They looked it up. It's okay. It's good. And here he said, for men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation for them is an end of all dispute. So people do that. People do it, and we trust them when they say, I'll be there, or I'll do this. We trust them. Why? And if we don't trust them, you know why we don't? Because they're no good. Because you cannot separate a person from their word. So if a person doesn't keep their word, that just shows them. That's not being mean, right? That's not being mean at all. It's not being mean one bit. If somebody always says, I'll do it, but they never do, it's not being mean to say, well, I can't trust them. It's just a fact that the words they speak mean nothing to them. Instead of saying, I don't know if I can do that, I might not be able to do it, or I for sure won't be able to do it, their words mean nothing, so they say, I'll do it, and they never do it. Because your words, whether we like it or not, all of us, there's nobody who is separated from their words. Politicians aren't. They're not. You know, and that's a fact. And here's the thing, don't think just because politicians say, I'm going to do this for you and do this for you, they're going to do that for you. 
What does it say? It says that people sometimes, not all politicians, maybe some say it with good intention, but good intentions show character if, they're, if it's not followed. You say, why are you saying this? Because of this that we're about to read. This isn't to condemn anybody, but if you don't value your words or other people's words, you can't approach God's words that way. Because notice this. Thus, God, verse 17, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel or his promise or what he says, confirmed it by an oath. Well, what does that mean? People swear to keep their word, and they do, and we stop arguing about it. Now, God wanting to show the same thing to us didn't say, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you a sign. No, he said, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to give you a promise. And it says, notice these wordings right here, the heirs of promise. He's going to show them the immutability of his counsel. Counsel. Well, what is it to be immutable? What does that mean? It literally means unchangeableness. And also it means literally unchangeable over time. So when God said, I'm going to share a promise with people, he said, I'm going to show them how I don't change over time and how this promise does not change. He said he confirmed or he told them with an oath. Why did he give an oath? Because what he said never changes and it doesn't change over time. And notice this. Verse 18. That by two immutable or unchangeable things. Notice he told them him more than once. Why would you ever have to tell somebody more than once if your word is so good you cannot lie so you tell them again? That's not for your own good. I mean, if God cannot absolutely ever lie, and he can't, and notice it says, it's going to say that here, but it says by two immutable things, because he does not change, in which it is impossible for God to lie. So what? So when Jesus said to Peter, come, it was a word from God. God, it's impossible for God to lie. Peter recognized that and said, I'm going to act on that with nothing under my feet, with the wind and the waves contrary, and I'm going to start doing it, and I'm going to walk to Jesus on the water because he knows these verses and he knows the Bible God cannot lie. He cannot lie. It didn't say he will not. He cannot. So there's not one person in here who has been perfect with your words. But God has been perfect with his. And he said he, the reason why he gives the word and not a sign or a wonder, and he does do those things. But the reason he gives the word is because he can't lie. So he throws it out there 
so you have something to rest on and to be fully expectant in. Notice that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation or comfort who have fled for refuge to lay hold of this hope or this expectation set before us. But notice this. He said you can run for refuge, and he said people who are truly trusting in God's word because it cannot lie, you can run and be protected within the word. You can run there whenever there's a word. And he said it's, it's a place of refuge. And people should flee there. In other words, head there to what he said. Act on what he said. If he cannot lie, and, and I mentioned this the other day in prayer, the issue is not God's character. The issue is not the strength and the ability of God's word. The issue is really the person who approaches God's word. Because here's the thing, God could give you a word and tell you, I want you to do this. And you're like, yeah, whatever, I'll get around to that. Then that is not God saying what I'm saying to you is not important and not of extreme value and ultimate because it's a word that came from me. That's my opinion of it going, yeah, whatever. In other words, I'm not esteeming his word like he esteems his word. I'm not approaching his word like he approaches his word. He knows that if people would approach his word like he approaches his word, they could have a miracle like Peter did in the face of a storm. But how many people are like, yeah, 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 I know the Lord's dealt with me to do that, but that's okay. I'll get around to that. Then basically, he has thrown his word out that it is such profound counsel is unchangeable, sure, steadfast. God cannot lie. There's such ability and strength. That's how God gives it. And then the people sit here, and not everybody, and go, oh, well, that's okay. But then there are other people who value even the smallest of his words because they recognize they're all connected to him. That's how you approach his word. You with me? That's huge because sometimes people don't. But why would you not? I'll tell you what happens if you don't. You ready? Turn to James, the second chapter, because we're talking about this. God approaches his word one way, and he said, listen, I can't swear by any greater, so I just give these promises. I just speak these things. I just give direction to you. They are totally unchangeable. So even if you have personal direction from him, it's immutable. It's unchangeable. You with me? In other words, it's a sure word, but we've got a book full of things. In other words, we've got this book and we've got a personal relationship with God. And if we devalue it, then we're not approaching God's word like he gives his word. You get what I'm saying? And if I do that or somebody does that, then... Um, what would that do? In other words, I'm approaching it from down here thinking, well, it, you know, okay. But in all reality, 
regardless of how I approach it, it is huge. It is massive. It is to be ultimately respected beyond anything. I mean, all the miracles in the Bible and the different things you see, how many times they just got a word and somebody would act on that word and a miracle would be performed. But how many people got words but didn't act on them and there was no miracle performed? The great thing about Christianity is God deals with all of his children. So there is such profound value in the things that God deals with us about. But if I don't regard them and act in line with them, then I'm really devaluing the profoundness and the immutable, unchangeableness of God in his word. And then if I'm like that, I wouldn't even trust it. I would regard the storm as greater. the problem as greater and I would not reign over it even though the word would make me reign over it. You with me? So James, the second chapter, a real interesting verse, especially when you couple it to what we're talking about. He's talking about faith and hearing from God and he basically talks to Christians who are hearing and think all you need to do is hear. What if Peter only heard come and he really got a word from God and he knew come? And he turned to everybody else in the boat. He said, I don't know about you, but I heard from God. I hear from God. The Lord said to me, come. What did he say to you? That's right. I'm telling you right now, I'm just up here preaching to all the guys in the boat. Jesus said, come. He said, come. Come. That's what the Lord said to me. And I know the Lord's voice. And the Lord's voice said, come. Well, he could have preached up there for two weeks. And it would have done him no good. Because you can hear from God. But if you do not act on it, it does you no bueno, no good. Period. Matter of fact, James said it like this. He's talking about faith without actions. Verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead. So this is the first thing he said. This, first, this illustration here, and there's other illustrations. He said, have you ever seen somebody's body when their spirit leaves it? You anybody seen that? We call it a funeral. In other words, he said it's dead right there on the ground. If there's no spiritual life, if their spirit is left and gone on, they're dead. They're just a clump. They're doing nothing. There's no life. There's no activity. There's no nothing. That's what he said. That's how he starts. For the body without the spirit is dead. You just got a clump. Can you ask anybody, can you help me? You know, if you came in and you're like, could you help me? And there's like a clump of body right there. Now you understand, in the light of what he's talking about, that clump has heard.
but they don't act on what they hear and don't respond. They don't forgive when they know to forgive. They don't do. So they're, they're like that dead body right there. Somebody came to him and said, I need your help. Please help me. You can't help. Because notice what he said. For the body without the spirit is dead. What a simple but profound statement. So faith... How many people say, I got faith, I got faith, I got faith. So then faith without actions is dead also. So in other words, that clump could be going, I got faith, I got faith. But without actions, it's dead being alone. If I don't respond and do what I know to do, see, that's where Peter started getting the miracle. That's where Peter missed the miracle. If he says you've got it, but you say, okay, I'm going to pray, I'm going to trust, I'm going to believe. Have you ever thought about acting on his immutable word like it's true? Because from his standpoint, it is. Well, I've been praying about it. It's not what he asks. Some people need to act. Go read the miracles in the Bible. How many times did Jesus or the disciples demand an action or God in the Old Testament demand an action before they saw anything based solely on responding to his word? Here's the thing. If we had a dead body here on the platform and, uh, you know, it was a nice shade of blue or whatever, and I'm just preaching and, you know, all of a sudden that thing got up. I mean, for real. I mean, got up. Right while I was preaching. Some of you would be like, well, I'd just be like, oh, that's nice. That, that's, that's, that's really nice. What were you saying, Pastor? Keep preaching. All of a sudden, the fingernails and the toenails that are blue all of a sudden turn pink again, and they're standing there, and you hear their joints. People would freak out. They did it with Jesus when he was alive. But seriously, if you saw a dead person come to life, you would be like, whoa. Hey, if you saw a dead person come to life seriously this morning here, how many of you would force a friend to come here next week? <laughs> serious. How many of you would? Yeah, I guarantee you. And I said, listen, we're going to do this again next week. No, serious. You'd be like, dang, I'm bringing all my friends. This is going to be good. We're getting there early. I don't even care if they got donuts. I'm coming. Right? You would drag people. 
Wouldn't you? Some people need their faith resurrected, and the only way to do it is have action. If you have actions, you have a miracle. As real a miracle as a dead body rising up, if you will act your faith, you will have a miracle. And people will freak out by the results. And the reason there are probably more miracles and less miracles at time have to do with this very thing of approaching God's word like he said and acting when you don't feel like it but you trust in his unchangeable word and you begin to put your assurance in it and you go flat out that's it so that would mean I'm going to quit worrying I'm going to quit being afraid I'm going to start acting like what he said is so because it is and I'm going to do it even in the face of a storm and I'm not going to change. What would that do? It would resurrect your faith. It would make it go from a dead faith to a resurrected faith because I wonder if Christians who say they have faith have a dead faith. And all they would need to do is have a resurrection of their faith. I remember one time witnessing to this guy after I got saved. There was actually three people there. And I started telling him about the Lord. And they had been listening to this music. And I had thought, how can I get over there and talk to them? It was dark. It was up in a canyon uh, up in the mountains where I lived. And I had gone there when I was in the world. So I thought, I'm going to go back and I'm going to witness to people. I'm going to tell them about the Lord. So I drove there by myself and they were listening to this music. And it was like, you know, kill this thing and do this. And so I just walked up to them and I was thinking, cool. And I was like, hey, I looked the same, but I was different. And I said, oh, I was listening to your music. They're like, yeah. And they're just drinking and partying and I said, so it sounded like they were talking about killing stuff and sacrifices. I said, I'm totally into sacrifices. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm fully into sacrifices. As a matter of fact, I'm into human sacrifices. You guys interested in that kind of stuff? And they're like, whoa. You know, they're thinking, this dude's nuts. Because, you know, you're up in a dark canyon. You know, up in the mountains, I'm like, I'm, I'm into this and stuff. And I said, I've personally been involved in a human sacrifice. You have. And these guys are sitting there, and they're not drinking. This is an honest story. I, still, I can still picture where I was. And I literally said, yeah, Jesus Christ died for me. I partook of that sacrifice by receiving, oh, oh. Then one of the guys goes, I'm a Christian too. And the other two guys said, no, you're not, you liar. Faith without works is dead. They looked at him and said, you're as dead as we are. They did. They said, you're dead. Why? Because he had no actions. Did, maybe he had eternal life. It's interesting that Ephesians says this, arise from among the dead, you who sleep. Sleeping people, you know, we've all seen that scary movie where the guy goes into the morgue, there's a sheet over a guy, he's dead, he goes to wheel him in, it's his co-laborer who's asleep, and he gets up and the dude freaks out. Because sleeping looks a lot like dead. Meaning unless they're snoring. 
You, you get what I'm saying? And so what would have made a difference for that guy in the mountains? Having actions with his faith. If the Lord said you're dead to sin, then he shouldn't have been out there getting drunk. He should have acted like he was dead to that. But he didn't have actions, so his faith was dead, even though he was alive to God. But does it just work in that area? No, it works like this, like the whole thing with Peter, too. You with me? In other words, do I act like I'm alive? Do I act like I'm healed? Well, I've been confessing. Have you been acting like it? And not worrying? And beginning to put your foot down? And begin to step on the water? Well, I thought I'd wait till I saw some. God's word is where his value is to him. Signs follow his word. The Bible said that. So it's the word acted on that brings results. If I do not act on what I know, I murder my own faith. When I start acting, I have a resurrection to my faith. Then my faith becomes alive and becomes a living, vital thing. 